Hey guys, just want to let you know, I screwed up the microphone settings on my recording. And so the first uh, maybe hour of this recording on my end is not going to be super optimal sound. I really apologize for that. I did my best to clean it up and uh, hopefully it's not the worst thing you've ever listened to, but I really do apologize for that. Uh, It gets fixed later in the episode and I tell you when it does, but unfortunately it is the bulk of this episode. So I just wanted to upfront here, apologize for that. And uh, thank you for listening to the show. Andrew, why are you so sad? Well, Trip, I've got an Android phone, and I don't know how to find my favorite podcasts on it. Well, did you know that the Podcast Republic app can serve all of your podcast needs in one convenient location? All of them? How does it work? Well, you find the Podcast Republic app on the Google Play Store, you download it to your device, and then you mark all your favorite podcasts as your favorites. Like dissecting the 80s? Exactly like that. And then every time they update, the episodes zip right to your phone. Wow, how convenient. That's right, the Podcast Republic app for Android devices. Welcome to Dissecting the 80s. I am one half of the mega podcasting powers, Trip Lano. And with me, as always, is a man who knows that if you catch a Bigfoot, the most important thing to do is make him part of your family. The Macho Man Drew. Andrew Lano. And I believe in our community we just call them bears. <laughs> You're gonna you're gonna make a lot of people out there upset, I feel like, I just alleging that all bears in the LG in the gay community or LGBTQ community are uh, are actually big No, feet. A bigger hairy guy. We call them bears. <laughs> I know what the I know what the thing is. I'm just saying you're alleging that all of the bears are actually big feet, no. not humans. No, I was just drawing a funny correlation. Uh, we watched the movie Harry and the Hendersons, which is about a Bigfoot, because there's an animated movie about the Bigfoot called Smallfoot that comes out, I think, this week, perhaps the week after. I don't have kids. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I also don't have any interest in watching it. I just was, like, scrolling through the upcoming releases, and I saw Bigfoots, and I was like, oh, Harry and the Hendersons. Perfect. So we watched Harry and the Hendersons, and you know what that means. We gotta go back. We gotta go dissect the 80s. It's a cryptozoologist. Something's gotta be done about your cryptozoologist. When the mega powers explode... I'm talking about the 80s. Oh, yeah. Great Scott. Cream of the crop. Oh, 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 yeah. Mega power, yeah! When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. So, have you seen this before? I wanna say, I knew we have it on VH. We had it on VHS growing up. I don't I really remember. a bunch. I remember the only thing I, the only scene that I remember is him looking in the window at the chicken in the pot and then looking over at the hot tub and thinking they were the same thing. That's all I remember. Interesting. Okay. Uh, we'll get to that because I have some questions about that scene later. Uh, but the scene I remembered most vividly was the one where John Lithgow finds Harry eating in their kitchen, which is like kind of the scariest moment of the movie. It's pretty scary. Oh, and the ending, obviously. Don't just well, say we don't want you anymore. <laughs> yes, get out of yes, here. Yes. Probably my favorite dumb joke on 30 Rock, of which there are many. Oh, that was such a good one. That, and John Lithgow like, walks by in the background. And Mamma Mia. Um, that, those two were the, my favorites. It's Mamma Mia. Yeah, Jack yeah, is Mamma Mia. <laughs> Should we watch Mamma Mia really quick? So uh, we start off with Jurassic Park, by the way, of Evil Dead. We're like cruising yeah. through this forest. <laughs> and it's totally the opening shot from the original Evil Dead where they like took a two by four and they bolted a camera in the middle and had two people run holding the other ends of the board. So it's this kind of like bouncy, shaky, moving through all the terrain. 
And the forest looks straight up Jurassic Parky. It's all ferns and, and lush vegetation. Is, and is that what the Pacific Northwest looks like? I I think it's the low level Pacific Northwest. Okay. Stuff. Like the, the vegetation on a lower level. Because I was not in the Pacific Northwest, but I just recently was in a bunch of national parks in the West, in Glacier National Park and Yellowstone. And I think it was either a glacier... Yeah, I think it was a hike we did in Glacier where both of us were like, wow, this is really Jurassic Parky. And the, there was a lot of ferns, and we kept making jokes about seeing uh, velociraptors coming bursting out of the woods <laughs> or dilophosaurus because it looked straight up like Jurassic Park. So I guess those plants, which I think of as sort of tropical, uh, are more prevalent in the western part of the country. I had no idea until just recently. But so it's this really beautiful forest, and we're like, we're, we're rolling through it. And it turns out it's John Lithgow and a kid that looks like the kid from Home Alone. Oh, who Fuller? The bed. Yes. It looks like Fuller, but it's not Fuller. It's not Fuller. And full disclosure, I effing hated this kid. And I have a lot <laughs> of notes about it. It's like Dollar Store Fuller, which is like Fuller is not a character that you think is a full price store character. No. To begin with. Yeah. But this is Dollar Store Fuller. Um, he's also a sociopath and a monster. We'll get there. He is he is absolutely a serial killer in the making and uh, has the thickest glasses I've ever seen on a child. This poor kid was basically blind. Oh, 100%. Um, but the... So- He's... These are the glasses that are the joke in My Cousin Vinny about that woman being blind and being like, oh, you can't see. And her glasses are like an inch and a half thick. This poor kid, they're so ridiculously large. So uh, the beginning is intercut with the running, which I think is supposed to be... Uh, the Sasquatch, the Bigfoot, Harry, whatever we'll call him. I'll just call him Harry for now because we know what yeah. he is eventually. Um, mixed with John Lithgow and this kid talking. Right, right. And then they get back to camp and they hold up a dead rabbit. And we get uh, what I think is basically just a f- one of the first fundamental issues in this marriage. In that John Lithgow said he wasn't going to take his kid hunting, but like brought his kid's hunting rifle and secretly took him hunting against his wife's right. back. And she was like, yes, super, super didn't want that to happen. And on top of that, he was like, we're going to leave soon and we're going to go have lunch on the way home. And instead it's like, nope, we killed a rabbit. We're going to skin it and eat it right now. And it's like, no, we're leaving. We're packing up. Exactly. And the kid is like, it was either him or me. And I was like, which is 100% what John Lithgow told him to make him kill an animal. Yes. 100%. Um, well, I don't think John Lithgow had to convince him. That kid's a sociopath. <laughs> um, he was. Pro- I think he was probably the driving force in Let Me Hunt, Dad. Uh, you're probably not wrong. Also, this rabbit prop is enormous. It's a giant rabbit. It's like basically a jackalope. It's it's like a 45-pound rabbit. Yeah. Cause in So in the car, they have, end up driving home. Uh, oh, the mom is also the mom from A Christmas Story, by the way. She is, yes, yes. Because I was like, why do I know that face? It's not Diane Weist. Who is this woman? Wait, did you look her up? Yeah. It's really weird. When I looked her up on IMDb, that Christmas, a Christmas story was not on like the top bunch of movies. But anyway, that's okay. Weird. Um, but yeah, it, it's the mom from A Christmas Story. And the kid in the car, the, the son, they have a son and a daughter. And the son is like, can I get some real Major League Baseball cleats when we get home? And they say, yeah. And he goes, great. I'm going to kick my friend in the shins with him. And I was like, well, he's going to he's going to cleat him. It's a specific baseball term. Whatever. Uh, this kid, you like feel like if you bring this kid into the woods, you should leave the woods without him. Like you should handle and Gretel this kid. <laughs> I mean, the baseball thing doesn't bother me as much as the fact that this kid is ready to murder all living animals. Literally everything he's everything he says is shouted 
and or something about harm. Yes. Uh, I also don't want to gloss over. We really have lost the art in modern film of sending the second unit out with the car to just film the car doing some driving. Oh, I loved it. You get the actors in a in a studio or a booth, and they're just like, "All right, just like chitter chatter," because it's not like the the conver- the baseball is part of that, but it's like just nonsense. Like I I almost think it's complete ad lib. There's nothing character establishing. No, not at the, all in the dialogue. Yeah, and so in that back and forth, the kids like, "I want new ba- brand new cleats." And they're like, "Of course," and he's like, "I'm gonna spike this kid," and the mom's like, "Well, never mind that," and he's like, "But he spiked me," and John Lithgow's like, "Well, it's a baseball thing. You don't understand." So. Uh, it just felt like not like they just stuck the actors in like a trailer, mic'd them all up, and we're like, all right, just start talking, and we're gonna put this over the car footage later. Yeah, because the car footage is beautiful. I was like, well, you can stick a camera out in the American Northwest and like just stick it out anywhere and point it and turn it on, and you're gonna get beautiful footage. I mean, it's just gorgeous country. I was like, oh, this is what outside looks like when it, not in Southeast Pennsylvania. <laughs> But yeah, I just that's like a really prevalent thing we see doing movies for the show that I don't I can't think of a modern movie where there's a long driving scene with just like a, a, ADR like recorded after the fact uh, dialogue over top of it. Yeah, I don't think they do that anymore. So we cut into the car and there is a lot of fog and glare and John Lithgow's having trouble seeing, but of course he's a manly man and can't admit that he needs his sunglasses. Uh, it's fine, I can see totally fine. Then he comes around a curve through some fog and wham, he hits a Bigfoot. Well, he hits an animal. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you bought a ticket for Harry and the Henderson, so I feel like you so know that he hits a Bigfoot. Apparently not. Um, apparently, all the tr- a lot of the trailer work didn't feature Bigfoot. But the tra- the poster says, you don't think Bigfoot's real, or something like that. Yeah, but like the the poster, the, the VHS cover that I remember is like wacky cartoon um, Bigfoot on a car. Um, right. The original poster was like, the creepiest set of eyes and a flower and it was like but it says according to science bigfoot doesn't exist what you don't know like believe with your heart or something what you can't when you can't believe your eyes trust your heart yeah so like they that makes it sound like it's a rom-com with a bigfoot yes a (laughs) hundred percent that's what it is it's like she was a girl you know i just i can't i'm so frustrated with derek I broke up with him. I'm going out to go camping in the woods. He was, was a, a Bigfoot. Bigfoot. <laughs> You'll never believe what happens next. Look around the world. <laughs> was that the song, right? Did I sing the right song? Okay. Yeah, no, I started singing it just a second before you did. I think it got <laughs> caught in the, the Skype minor delay there. Uh, yeah, no, that's that poster is like a Bigfoot rom-com. Which, by the way... I'll go see that movie. Yeah. If you want to give me a Bigfoot rom-com, I'll be here for it. Even if you want, like, Bigfoot and another, like, suppo- like alleged animal. and not, If you, if you oh, don't want to do Bigfoot and a person. It's Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster? Yeah, or, like, Bigfoot and the Jersey Devil. Okay. She's got, like, the, or, like, the Jersey Devil's or, got, like, a big, uh, like, bump it hair. <laughs> it, would, it would definitely be Snooky, because this yeah. movie would be the worst. Yes. Um, I'm also thinking, like, there's this problem now where, because of global warming the polar bears are coming more south and the grizzly bears are going more north and they're like crossbreeding into pizzly bears so what if it's like a yeti and a sasquatch and it becomes this like new you know i don't know what the a sasquetti or something like yeah, that i like that so he hits this he hits this bigfoot and it's like oh i hit an animal 
let me grab my gun and the waves he's like he goes on and on about his he's like i didn't even bring my gun i didn't even bring my gun and then when he gets out of the car the first thing he does is grab his gun which as you said before this marriage has some issues this is a bad i wrote all caps this is a bad marriage like i'm not married i really i don't you know know exactly what it takes to make a good marriage but i'm gonna go out on a limb and say lying about guns is not the key to a good marriage yeah i think you're you're right but also there's this like weird subtext of lithgow and his dad who definitely has never told him that he loved him or hugged him like has some like deep-seated daddy issues going on oh as well. yeah this is this is uh, bigfoot daddy issues <laughs> yes exactly so there's a moment where right before they hit harry it's like oh well remember this is the first trip where ernie killed something and you didn't and then it's like wham he hits the bigfoot which i, I like that yeah that. Yeah. Uh, So he goes to investigate. He thinks that he's killed the Bigfoot. So they tie a rope around his feet and they tie it over a tree branch and to the back bumper of the car. And they're like pulling the the Bigfoot onto the roof where they lash him up under a tarp. uh, And they start driving away with a Bigfoot attached to their car. And they and she's clearly the the wife is clearly not happy about these turn of events. Um and Lithgow is very clearly trying to, like, mansplain about why it's a good idea to take this dead animal home because they can make money off of it. Yeah, he instantly is like, there's a lot of people who pay a lot of money for this thing. She's like, we killed an a- we might have killed the only one of these animals that exists. And he's like, yeah, but we'll get paid big bucks for it. I realize that's not what John Lithgow sounds like. I just don't have a Lithgow. It's like, so it's not the farthest from Lithgow, actually. Like, he's got yeah, that I- weird, like... There's something here. Like, it's like a, yeah. like a jowly sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but at the point where they're arguing, Harry, like, wakes up, sticks his head down over the windshield, and is like, Rah! It's a great shot. He jams. Yeah, it's, it is very cool looking. And there's also a really great wire stunt here where they jam on the brakes, and Harry goes flying, like, 10 or 15 feet <laughs> and, like, rolls and rolls and rolls into the dirt. By the way, Bigfoots are basically indestructible. Yeah. I mean, he got hit by a car and then thrown off a moving vehicle at speed and is fine. He also later uh, survives being launched inside a dumpster off of a garbage truck. So yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, I was in a car accident in April. My car got totaled. The airbags didn't deploy. Like the car got spun around and hit pretty bad. But I didn't like bang against the. I didn't get thrown into anything in the car. Like the seatbelt held me in place, and I still had like some soft tissue damage in my back that took a few weeks to heal and my shoulder I had to go to physical therapy to get it back to normal and that like that was without getting thrown off the vehicle yeah. in the dirt so harry is basically indestructible uh lithgow goes out with his gun again and his shit heel kid is like shoot him dad <laughs> put him down double tap yeah it's a worse it, bobby it's a worse it's bobby like, it, <laughs> it's like uh uh, like a Larry the Cable Guy-esque caricature of a redneck boy, except he seems like a very Pacific Northwestern, like, fairly well-to-do family son. It's very weird. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, we're introduced at this point to Bigfoot hunter Hercule Poirot. Basically. Uh, no, the actor played Hercule Poirot. Oh, really? Agatha Christie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I looked him up, I was like, oh, yeah, I definitely have seen, like, half of a Hercule Poirot with this guy in it. Um, there's also a really great moment where John Lithgow with his gun is like, it's dead. And his wife rolls down the window and is like, are you sure? And then rolls it back up quickly. And he says, yes. And she wrote, and I wrote the note, you thought it was dead last time, Lithgow. And she looks up the window and goes, that's what you said last time and rolled it up. And I was yeah. like, I like her. 
She and I, and same going, team. <laughs> and at that point, I'm like, there's definitely going to be a third one of these, right? Comedy rule of threes. Sure enough, back to the wife to roll the window down and say one more thing out the window. Yeah. So they cut. So it's so bizarre. I don't know why they made this choice. I Off the bat, I will say once again, this is a movie that is a, like 20 minutes too long, I think. Yeah, this is an hour and 50 minutes, which I'm surprised I enjoyed it as a kid because of how long this movie is. Yeah. Um, and so uh, they make a weird decision to go from Lithgow shouting at his and his wife shouting to each other from their car to the tracker subplot that's going to be like, this man wants to hunt Bigfoot. Cut, hard cut immediately to them at home. And I was like, well, did they, did they bring Harry home? Did he follow them home? I don't know this movie. But apparently they brought him all the way home thinking he was dead and just didn't decide to tell us that. They decided not to tell us that. Yeah, it is It is very odd for as long as this movie is that they don't have like 30 seconds to explain what's going on. Um, and then Lithgow wakes up because he hears a bunch of noise coming from downstairs. And at that point, Harry, we get this awesome, awesome shot where he goes to check the garage with his flashlight and he goes in the kitchen and he's startled and he falls over. Oh, I love this shot. Drops. And the flashlight is spinning and we're watching the room get like lit, dark, lit, dark, lit, dark as this flashlight spins. And then Harry's shadow comes onto the wall and it is fabulous. Like this is a shot that someone should steal for a werewolf movie or some other. Oh, yeah. Like it's it's brilliant. No one's going to know that you stole it from somebody else because it's not that popular of a movie and it's like a throwaway shot in it. But it is awesome. And then it finally, like, stops spinning and reveals Harry. And all I can think the whole time is, like, this should be every Harry monster movie's big reveal. Or not even Harry monster. But, like, the fur looks really cool in the shadows. But, like, any big monster movie, this is such a freebie. Like, this should totally yeah. be a thing that Take happens. Take this, guys. And then they reveal Harry at his full, like, seven foot. Oh, he's, like, eight gym. feet tall. Yeah, yeah. Huge shoulders and it's just like this giant gorilla-esque monster being like, and it's like legitimately scary. Mm -hmm. Um, We get a classic sneeze gag because this is a children's movie where he smells pepper. Also, why does the Henderson family have a 24-inch tall pepper grinder? Like, what is is the home need for a 24-inch tall pepper? I don't know. I feel like a lot of Italian families have that kind of stuff. What, it's I, I, like maybe a foot. I'll give you like a 15 inch even, which is like the edge of it. But this thing is like the size of a baseball bat. It's like, wh- how much pepper do you need to? It's like, oh, I only want to load my pepper grinder once per child through high school. Yeah. Like I just, <laughs> we load Lazy. it. And then by the time it's gone, <laughs> a kid has graduated. Um, and, and there's a scene where like, there's a brief moment where Harry kind of like walks towards John Lithgow. And I was like, I wonder, because these these movies came out the same year, uh, Predator and Harry and the Hendersons. Yeah, yeah. So I imagine they filmed around the same time. Um, I wonder if Kevin Peter Hall went Predator on Harry and the Hendersons or vice versa. (laughs) Like, just without, like, oh, I'm in a monster suit. Like, let me kind of move. Oh, and they're like, you're moving like the Predator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, hey, hey, <laughs> Peter, Peter Hall, Peter Hall. Hey, uh, sorry, he's versus Kevin, right? Yeah. Yeah. Kevin, Kevin, you're doing, you're doing the wrong one. Sorry, sorry. You need to be angry, or you need to be mean, or whatever yeah. it is. In my in my head canon, these movies were filming concurrently, so he he spent like a day on Predator set and then a day on the Harry set. <laughs> he was doing like days and nights, like yeah, he was just flip floppy. He's like filming back to back sixteen hour days. Yeah. Uh, the daughter gets upset because he ate her 15th birthday corsage. Like, is that a thing? Yeah. I, it's not one like, no, she, the only 15th birthday thing I know is quinceanera. And 
this family is not one celebrating a quinceanera. It's the most like man-easy white bread family yeah. on earth. Two, she says the line, I saved up for six months to buy that orchid corsage. What is your allowance? Like a nickel a week? Wait, like, no, I thought she, no, I thought she said I saved that for six months. No, she's, I, I, I backed it up. She says I saved up for six months to buy it. Oh, I did not catch that. For the rest of my life. Yeah, because she said I saved up for six months to buy it, and I'm gonna keep. I was gonna keep it for the rest of my life. Which, like, no, you weren't. You were You're not. gonna be 25 and be like, I, "This is insane," and throw out the dried flower. But I, a corsage cannot be more than forty dollars. It should it's not like be more flowers. than forty dollars. But even in a world where you're like, okay, the corsage, it's made of an orchid. It's the rarest blood orchid from the deepest jungle uh, in in the Amazon, and there, you have to spend a super premium. Two hundred bucks. Like, it can't possibly be more than, like, $100. Like, it just, there's no way. So what is this girl saving up from? Like, what? Also, what why did you job? have a, a birth, a corsage for your 15th birthday? It must have been, like, a formal family event, I guess. That's so weird. Uh, but I just, I could not get over the, I saved for six months, and I was like, wait a minute. Come, come on, movie. Bloop, 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 bloop. I saved for six months. Are you kidding me? That's impossible. <laughs> No, we get some really great destruction shots where he, where Harry like grabs the top of a door frame and pushes it up so he can get through it. Uh, I love the house destruction. It's stuff. so it good, looks so good. Yeah, it really does. These and there's, practicals like, are great. Yeah, the one that you just alluded to where he like pushes it up is an awesome looking effect. There's another one later where Harry's in the basement and like is pushing up through the kitchen floor. Oh, and I the love that like, one. Buckling up. Later in the car, he gets in and sits up and, like, pushes out the roof of the car. They're just all really cool looking. I really, really love the effects in this movie. Because it's not digital. Yeah, yeah. But not it's, that, like, per- Not that, like, I'm not, I don't want to be one of those people that, like, oh, digital's always bad. Because sometimes digital can work really well. But, like, if this movie were, made, were, were remade today, everything would be, like, CGI garbage. Yeah, it probably would be a CGI Harry. Oh, you're right. Ew. It bums me out. Well, similarly bummed out is Harry in the movie when he sees all of John Lithgow's hunting trophies. It's a really cute moment where he sees a deer head on the wall and then, like, pokes his head around the other side of the wall to see where the rest of the deer is and he, like, can't figure out where what's going on. And punches through the wall, which I really like. Yeah. Um, so Lithgow goes to shoot him because that's his response to everything. And then Harry looks him in the eyes and he's like, I can't shoot this thing. They have weirdly similar eyes. So sometimes Harry's eyes creep me out. Like when they yeah. do a close up on them, I get skeeved out. But when it's just like him in a scene, I, it doesn't weird me out. Interesting. I don't know why. Is it, is it like Uncanny Valley-ish, you think? I think so. But like there are real person's eyes under there, I assume. Yeah, they are. But it's not a real person's face. So yeah. that's probably what's throwing you off. So Harry finds a mink stole upstairs and he goes in the backyard and buries it. There's some real yeah. ham-fisted animal rights stuff that kind of well, pops it's out. Also, it's also weird, too, because Harry's a vegetarian. Well, Harry's a pescatarian. Yes. Like, he eats fish. And so it's very weird that <laughs> it's like, man, all these animals are so sad, but fuck your goldfish. And yeah. he just, like, eats the family goldfish. And it's like... I, that one was alive, weird, buddy. It's a weird choice to make the creature who's trying to be, like, animal sympathetic... A pescatarian. Like, I get like, human beings can make a choice for a whole range of reasons, but it just seems odd that Harry is a pescatarian. I couldn't get over that. Yeah, that one was bizarre. Um, and so they realize that Harry is one by one taking hunting trophies out to the backyard to bury them, and 
John Lithgow's precious, precious trophies need to be protected. So he grabs them all and like stuffs them into a closet. And I just wrote Chekhov's hunting trophies, question mark. Right. Yep, absolutely. Because they, they drew just enough attention to it, but also like brushed it under the rug just enough to make you not focus on it. Also, they live in like a nice, fairly good sized house for a family of four. Like it's it's a it's a sizable home. It's not like a mansion. Two store with a basement. It's nice. It's it's a big home. There are so many dead animals in it. At one point, there's just a skin on the wall that he rips off. It sounds like it's scotch taped to the wall because <laughs> of the sound effect they use. And it's like, did he just like kill this thing? It was like, oh, that's a good place for it. All right, we're done. It's taped to the wall now. <laughs> Maybe. Like, this whole home is decorated with animal bits. It's Gaston's home. Pretty much. Um, so John Lithgow goes to call the police and for some reason decides to say a Bigfoot's broken into his home. Yeah, this whole thing is crazy. And it's it's also one of those movies where the plot is totally ruined if it's set in the current era. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the ubiquity of cameras has made this kind of movie impossible to make. Because like, yeah. the teenage girl would be Instagramming Harry and that would be the end of it. Like, I mean, Facebook Live, two seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not that you can't write a movie that incorporates those things and have a good movie, but like him calling the cops is such a stupid maneuver when it's like, oh, you either going to tell them the truth or you just be like, there's a wild animal in my home. Like some, I can't figure out what it is, but it's gotten into our home somehow. Please send help. They would just do that. Like yeah. they would just send animal control and a police officer, maybe. Perfect. Because uh, I wrote, say, say it's an animal or an intruder. Like, people in Florida call the police or animal control or someone when alligators get into their pools or under their houses and stuff, and then they just, like, solve that problem for them. Yeah. Florida's crazy, man. Um, and this is another moment where the movie just, like, hard hard turn, because the police officer's like, look, let's say I do believe there's Bigfoot. Well, what's going to happen is you have to quarantine your entire neighborhood, evacuate everyone in the surrounding areas, and then bring in a bunch of guns to kill this giant creature. Right. And John Lithgow, who up until now has never once seemed to shy away from that kind of tactic. No! All of a sudden is like, this, is, this isn't right. And they all decide to like befriend and, and protect Bigfoot. And I was like, when? When yeah. did we make this call? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Like there needed to be the like, he proves he's, he's gentle. Like the dog scene should have happened as Lithgow was on the phone. Yes, where absolutely. He, he picks up the dog and you think he's going to like break its neck, but he just kind of like squishes the mouth closed to be like, don't stop barking, doggy. Yeah. I also think it's strange that the cop is like, we're going to make your place a war zone. And John Lithgow's first response is like, well, I don't want that. It's like, yeah, that's what we need to solve this problem. This thing is eight feet tall and is destroying our house. Yeah, that seems right. So we fast forward to the following day. And Lithgow's like, what am I going to do? I'm going to have to call in sick. Or sorry, it, it, it's not the following day. The, it's like dawning. The, the day is dawning. This the Harry yes. wrecking shop in the house happens at like 530 in the morning. So it's like, you know, an hour later, an hour and a half later, the sun's coming up. Um, and he's like, oh, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to call in sick. And, you know, and this crazy neighbor comes busting over and returns. I like Irene. She was in the movie yeah. just enough to not be like annoying. But I like her character is crazy pants. Mm hmm. Where it's like, oh, like later in the movie when the house is all destroyed and she's like consoling, um, I can't remember the Mrs. Henderson's first name. Uh, she's like, oh, don't worry. You know, my husband and I, this is like, you know, nothing compared to our fights. And I'm like, wow, your marriage is bad. Like yeah. you should not be having fights that you're destroying your house. That's super not good. You both are unsafe in that situation. Yeah. 
So he decides to call in sick, and then the kid is like, I can't wait to tell all my friends at school about the Bigfoot in my house. And he's like, that's it. We're all calling in sick. Everyone's staying home. Roll him up. So Harry has like a little cut on his knuckle, and they're deciding to treat his cut. And it's this like kind of tender moment where the movie starts. It's the scene in Beauty and the Beast. Uh, Yeah, it is fully the scene in Beauty. If you'd hold still, it wouldn't hurt as much. Uh, Beauty and the Beast probably stole it from this movie, obviously. Oh, yeah. I'm sure Disney was looking at Harry and the Hendersons real close. Well, you know, it, if it was Michael Eisner there then, because this was an Amblin Paramount picture, so maybe he was like, oh. oh, I got the perfect thing. And he was like, let me steal from those guys. Oh, I bet the first draft was a love story. And Eisner was like, no, let's make it a family movie instead. <laughs> They're like, why? That's what I love. We got Daryl Hannah. It's like, no, let's just make it a family uh, adopting a Bigfoot movie. <laughs> I love that, like, everybody got upset. Well, not everybody, but certain people got upset about there being a gay couple in the Beauty and the Beast live action movie. And it's like, this is a movie about a woman who at least does hand stuff with a water buffalo. <laughs> like, And that's generous least- calling it a water buffalo. Yeah, but, like, and it's probably being generous calling it just hand stuff, Mm -hmm. if I'm being honest. Like, there's a version of Beauty and the Beast that no one ever will see that, like, explains the falling in love sequence more fully. And I guarantee you it involved at least hand stuff with a water buffalo. So, like, let's just cool our jets with the whole, like, oh, let's say water water bear because it's kind of both. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like a wolf face. Yeah, it's it's an amalgam of, like, ten different animals, which I like. Right, right. But I was like, it wasn't even a gay couple. Like, the fact that they try to pass that off as their first gay thing. I was like, have several seats, Disney. I love you, Disney. But, like, that's not... You promised me A and delivered me four. Like... I will say, I have never slow danced with another man. It is not that common for two hetero dudes to slow dance with one another. It was .02 seconds of, like, everyone's changing oh, partners. Is, and then it is, it's two it dudes for two seconds. And then it cuts to someone else. And I was like... It, Wait, yes, fully that it's was garbage. it? Fully, it's garbage. You're not wrong about that. I'm just saying, like, because it, it wasn't like prob- it wasn't like a dude. It wasn't like the dude came up to um, Josh Gad and was like, "May I have this dance?" It was like everyone was doing a changing partners dance, and yeah. they changed. Uh oh, it's two dudes yeah. together. Yeah, yeah. But at least it wasn't played for comedy like that. Like, I guarantee you, there's a version of it where it's like, "Oh my god," and it's really homophobic. Yeah. I'm just saying, I'm giving them, like... I'm so nervous like, about really, Jungle Cruise. Uh, I'm so nervous about, about Jungle about Cruise. About Jungle Cruise? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm genuinely shocked they're doing it, knowing that they won't be able to release it in a bunch of countries that outlaw homosexuality. Well, that makes me think that it's not spoken in the movie. Oh, so he's just going to be, like, real flouncy? Yeah. He is... I, I believe the cast... The description was that he's very effete, very camp, and gay and i was like so so he'll be gay by stereotype and not by name he'll be the brother in high school musical gay where uh someone someone described it as perhaps, like perhaps a wider reference might be that dude from will and grace n- no because the dude from will and grace is gay like is a gay man no i i know i know but the character on will and grace is like extremely stereotypically like no so the different no the difference is that with disney stuff what they do is they have characters that are really you know like the, the it's the brother in high school musical is like he's gay as hell he's like he and his sister like the king queen of the theater department he wears stupid hats he wears skin tight sequin outfits 
but never one and like they're like oh no he totally likes the uh the lady the girl who composes the musical and i was like no he doesn't like <laughs> no he doesn't see but i'm picturing di- it's like just a character with like a lisp and is like totally over top and like an impression i could do right now but i'm not going to do because i know it's horribly yeah, offensive. basically but what they want pay- they want jonathan from the new queer eye but they don't want him to ever say anything about the fact that he is gay. So they can be like, I don't know what you're talking about. It sounds like an inference. They want the deniability. Right. Well, baby steps, I guess. We'll get that. I'm, so, get I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Back. I'm sorry. This is Harry and the Hendersons. I'm sorry. You're to- not wrong. You're not wrong. I'm not disagreeing <laughs> with you. I just think we should talk about Harry and the Hendersons. We can cut that and drop it at the end of the podcast. <laughs> no, I'm just going to leave it there. But we'll just go on to Harry and the Hendersons. So we we hang out with Hercule Perot. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I watched the first like 25 minutes of the new Murder on the Orient Express. I liked it a lot. I I I put it on and I was like, it is too late to be wa- like it. I, I yeah, it's a movie you need to pay. I told like, mom that I was like, you can't be on Facebook while this movie's on because yeah, I'm not explaining like, anything to you. I was like, this is a whodunit, and I like Agatha Christie, so I will probably enjoy this. But I was like, they started doing the like introducing the characters, and I was like, I'm too tired. I have to turn this off. But the the part I did get to was. Uh, Kenneth Branagh as Hercule Poirot. He was so good. I, he was. I, 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 like I said, I'm going to revisit the movie because I think it will be fun. But uh, yeah, anyway, uh, I now know how to pronounce the name, which I have never 100% Hercule sure Poirot. Yeah, there you go. You can do it better than I can. So they meet. we meet him and he meets up with this other Bigfoot hunter guy, or uh, sorry, cryptozoologist type guy. He's not a hunter. And he's like selling Bigfoot artifacts. And like later we see the inside of his museum. And he's got like a Bigfoot foot lamp, which I really like. <laughs> I almost wish it had been like a Christmas story style. I mean, like a tall Bigfoot leg. An eight foot. Oh, so like a four foot tall floor lamp. It's a Bigfoot leg. Yeah, that's great. Um, and it's, uh, it's, but so, it's like sexy and fishnets. Oh, I, I wouldn't I don't necessarily, but I wouldn't be mad about that. It's in a high heel. Yeah, it's in a wine shoe. Um so the guy that uh, Hercule Poirot goes to seemed so familiar to me. Like, his voice was very distinctive. But I looked him up. His name is Don Amish or Amici. Um, yeah. And nothing he was in was something that I was like, oh, that's what it's from. The only thing I can think is that he... He's Trading Places. He's one of the bad guys. Yeah, but I haven't seen... I haven't watched Trading Places in a while. Oh, I, I totally, like, for me, it's, like, instantaneously, he's the... It's the probably that, in retrospect. Uh, the other thing, I thought he kind of looked like Wes Craven. I can see that a little bit. Uh, other things... And I had just watched from... a four-hour documentary on Nightmare on Elm Street, so I've seen a lot of <laughs> Wes Craven. Um, he also plays the same character in Coming to America for, like, a hot second. Um, I'm surprised you don't know him from a Golden Girls episode, I'm seeing. I did, I did know that, but I was like, okay. I don't think that's... For his voice seemed to me like something I had heard in a Disney movie or like in the Homeward Disney Bound. I didn't like he's Homeward a Shadow Bound. and Homeward Bound. Okay, um, yeah, that's the, I, 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 look, I went through his entire filmography to be like, what do I know this guy from? You definitely recognize him from Trading Places, like 100. percent I'm sure he's one of the the, the Duke brothers. But uh, another thing people might know him from is the two Cocoon movies. Which uh, stay tuned. I don't know when, but at some point, Cocoon. We'll get there. Uh, also featuring M.M. Walsh, I believe, in Cocoon, who is in this movie as the uh, the dad of uh, of Lithgow. Oh, I know that guy from Christmas with the Cranks, and I'm only a little ashamed of that. M.M. Walsh is a wonderful character actor. Like, so good. But yeah, I know. I saw him, and I was like, oh, it's the one neighbor from Christmas with the Cranks whose wife has cancer, but they don't say cancer. <laughs> because they can't make it sad. I guess M.M. Walsh is not in Cocoon. Okay, I'm going to get off the other movie train, and we'll get back <laughs> to Harry Henderson's <laughs> 
We now resume our regularly scheduled dissection. So Lithgow is trying to teach Harry a bunch of tricks, and he's got sugar cubes, and the wife has this silly 80s line about it being empty calories, which I kind of really dug. Yeah. And he's like, sit, sit. And Harry proceeds to, like, throw his ass down onto all the furniture in the house and break it. Like, Chris Farley is Matt Foley style from Oh, my God, yes. It was basically like a a drunk person trying to sit. (laughs) Um, And then... So they eventually decide, like, okay, we have to take him back. Like, we got to get Harry. Like, this guy was trying to, like, teach him tricks so he can go on The Tonight Show. And it's like, no, 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 we got we to take him back. So this guy goes to the, the store, uh, the burger store. That's what I'm going to call it. And he buys, like, 40 cheeseburgers and two fish sandwiches. And he starts, like, It seems so burger. weird that, like, I, you, you think you would just do 50-50. Like, if you think there's a chance that fish is what's going to get him. Well, that's what I'm saying is like he knows Harry's a vegetarian like they've watched him or pescatarian. I keep saying the wrong thing. They know that they they have seen him specifically not want to eat animal products and be sad about it. Well, they they haven't seen him not want to eat animals. They've only seen him be sad that animals were like stuffed and mounted and dead. Well, I think it's not a terribly logic, illogical leap to make from like, oh, he buried a stuffed deer head. Ergo, he doesn't eat deer. That's fair. But... The thing that I found fascinating is, like, sociopathic kid is eating the fish, and this is another point to me of him being a sociopath. Because if you're an eight-year-old kid and your preference at a fast food joint is the filet of fish sandwich, you're probably a sociopath. Yeah. Hansel and Gretel, that kid. As as I say that, there's, like, 60% of our audience is just, like, unsubscribe, delete, one-star review, what a bunch of assholes. The the National Society of filet of fish (laughs) We have a very filet of fish enthusiast audience. Oh my god, wait, wait, can we do it? We'll post a Twitter poll. Do you prefer a filet of fish or a cheeseburger to see what happens? Yeah, I mean, and we're talking fast food sandwiches yeah, here. Yeah, filet of fish like, specifically. Like, yeah, yeah, we're talking filet of fish v. hamburger at a McDonald's. We're not talking like your awesome hand breaded cod on a what, like, not that. Yeah. <laughs> a filet of fish. <laughs> yeah, an apostrophe. Yeah, exactly. But I was really genuinely surprised this wasn't product placement. Yeah, I wonder. Maybe didn't. Maybe McDonald's was like, "We got Mac and me. We're good. <laughs> we're we're all set on yeah. product placement." I think we got this handled, Harry and the Hendersons. <laughs> uh, maybe that's what it is. Maybe the other fast food chains didn't have a fish sandwich at the time. I oh, maybe because it was like a. The, the filet of fish was definitely invented because Catholics don't eat meat on Fridays. So was the uh, the hula burger, which was just a grilled pineapple ring. <laughs> well, one of those is a much better idea than the other. I agree. Uh, I was just, uh, also a fact. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, like, I, I would think that the other burger chains would have been like, oh, yeah, that's a smart idea. We need a fish sandwich. But come, to, I don't know. of a fi- Does Wendy's have a fish sandwich or just burger? King? I don't know that they uh, do. I I'm believe, sure they do. They, I believe they do now. Hold on. Let me do a quick dude <laughs> you were gonna i need so to know now podcast googling fast food fish sandwiches <laughs> while already... you look while you look that up i'm gonna continue explaining what happens okay so he gives the kid a fish sandwich and the kid's like chowing down his filet of fish and harry's like i don't want this burger and he throws it over a fence and there's like 50 dogs wherever this burger lands i think it was the neighbor's house because when she came over to drop the dog off there were like a, a, a horde of dogs around her Oh, okay. I missed that. I think. So, so Lithgow is like, oh, look at all this stuff. I got these filet. He takes the two filet of fish that he bought for his sociopathic eight-year-old boy. Uh, also, this is too thin of a child to be eating two filet of fish sandwiches. Agreed. BT dubs. 
So he throws the two fish sandwiches in the back seat. He throws in a milkshake, which like he just throws a milkshake. I was I thought it was going to explode. I was like, I know. This is gonna splat and be real cool. <laughs> I was really like annoyed that it didn't. Then he started in French fries. But here's my problem: they drive a station wagon. Why are you throwing this in the back seat where Harry could easily reach up and grab your face, and not the way way back part where you would logically transport a Bigfoot if you were transporting a Bigfoot in a station wagon? So, uh, filet fish was invented in 1962. It was the first non-hamburger menu item. Uh. We know about the McDonald's. My question was, like, Burger King and the Wendy's. Do they have a fish sandwich? So there is a fish fillet at Wendy's, apparently. I, I mean, I believe it now, but did they used to? Because Wendy's recently, like, revamped their whole thing to be like, we're good food. I don't know. I don't actually care this much. So I'm just going to move on. Because they all apparently offer a fish sandwich, Burger King as well. Uh, and it's apparently Arby's as well. So they all Arby, have fish. I would, I would, that is, Arby's is the last place I would trust a fish sandwich. I gotta be honest, I'm looking at a picture of it right now. It looks the, it looks the most like real fish of all of these. Really? Are you talking yeah, about was, like ad? Because of course the ad's gonna look good. No, it's pictures, it's a Business Insider article where they went and got eight fish sandwiches. And, <laughs> Did we uh, write this? I don't remember yeah, writing a Business they, Insider they, article. The Business Insider ranked the Wendy's Premium Cod Filet Sandwich as number one. Then leave it. Popeye's. Then the White Castle Fish Slider, which like, I can't imagine ordering a fish slider I would, at a White I would, Castle. No. Then the filet of fish then the Burger King Big Fish Sandwich. And then the Dairy Queen Alaska Pacific Cod Sandwich. I cannot believe this is content we're putting out into the internet. And lastly is the Arby's Crispy Fish Sandwich. But if you showed me just these pictures and were like, which one do you think tastes the best? The Arby's looks like a real fish sandwich. Like if you went to a boardwalk and you ordered a fish sandwich, this is what it would look like. Okay. I'm stunned. Like Arby's has the meats and apparently it's a good looking <laughs> fish. Get a Jamocha shake and a fish sandwich. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like literal poison for your body. <laughs> I would. Oh God. Anyway, that is. I promise the conclusion of fish sandwich discussion <laughs> on this show because it does not come up in the movie again. But we now return to fish sandwich gate twenty eighteen. <laughs> spinning spinning news logo. Donate to our Patreon. We'll set a new stretch goal, and then if we hit it, we will record a video of us eating all of the fast food fish sandwiches and then ranking them and ranking them and hating ourselves. Um. Harry escapes and like runs off. Like he's just gone. And they're like, well, I guess our problem's solved. Like clip, clap, clip. We're done with this. And it's mm-hmm. like, no, I don't think that's what actually is going to happen here, but okay. Um, I wrote a note, another note. I hate this little boy and I don't know what he did, but, uh, he, he makes the dog run away. Oh, that. Yeah. He tries to set the dog free. He does. He like opens the door and leaves the dog on the porch and is like, go on, get out of here. You're a wild animal. I, I, I hate him so much. And you know what's really, as I was like, what, this kid has never acted anything else, right? Nope, because he doesn't even have a Wikipedia article. He was in about five things, uh, but not much. Well, I guess it, his Wikipedia is unclickable. So yeah, yeah, he has a small, I looked him up on IMDb he has a small number of things, but not too much. Cause everything um, is shouted. He's like, goes to the Disney channel school of acting. <laughs> so Lithgow goes to work and he's like pretty bummed out about Harry being gone. And at this point there's like news coverage of, of uh, Bigfoot getting out there and people are kind of talking about it and everybody at works talking about it. But I know it's like mostly a gun store, but it looks like a, pretty typical small town sporting goods store yeah 
much like the one in Freaks and Geeks. I don't know if you, anyone out there has ever watched that, but the dad and that also in the Sporting Goods store. Like a small, like before Dick's came in and the Sports Authority and all these huge stores, it was like a mom and pop place. And everyone is wearing a suit and tie, and it just seems like such weird attire for people to sell you basketballs. Yeah, I, I thought it was, because I, I was like, oh, I guess his job must be like in, a, in an office. Because they yeah. first show you, like, the back room where there's, like, files and, like, the big metal shelves with boxes of files. And I was like, oh, okay, sure. He's in, like, the, the, the records room of his office. No, he's just in the back of this weird gun store. Yeah, and there's, like, two other dudes back there who are also wearing suits and ties. And it just seems, like I said, weird attire for a gun store. Agreed. So, the hunter... Hercule Poirot uh, knocks on the door. I'm not going to try. That's the he, best thing I'm going to do. Well, no, he hands the light. He, like, wrote down the license plate number because he found their, like, knocked off license plate and goes to, I guess, the DMV. And it's like, I saw an old war buddy of mine and uh, I, I, I can't remember where he lives, but I got his license plate down. Would you be able to tell me so I can go visit him? And they just give it to him. This is a thing in a lot of, like, spy related movies as well where people are just, like, able to casually get. Uh, information based on your license plate number, and I don't know if it's true, but I really hope that it isn't. I agree. I agree. So he knocks on the door of their house, and the neighbor answers, and she thinks he's, like, selling something, and then he starts talking to the mom, and she is like, oh, uh, I don't know what you know. Like, oh, we hit an animal, but it walked off in the woods. And he's like, it walked off in the woods. And she's like, uh, uh, scuttled, crawled, limped, you know, whatever. Uh, Whatever you say about an animal. She's like, look, nothing happened. We came home. We're fine. The animal, I don't know what happened to the animal. It ran away. So, uh, bye. Shut the door in his face. So he goes to the gun shop and buys, like, the biggest bullets you could possibly purchase. Apparently. And we only know that because John Lithgow says that. Because I was like, I would have no idea. Well, if you saw that bullet, you'd be like, damn, that's a big bullet. I feel like. Yeah, but did he ever pull them out? Yeah, he pulls one out of the box. It's, like, enormous. Oh, okay. I forgot that part. There's a weird part where Lithgow goes to the uh, library to check out books on Bigfoot and bring them home. It's very Jaws. It's very much Roy Scheider's got all the the shark books spread out on his desk. Yeah, I love him being like, I need books on Bigfoot. And the woman is like, myths and monsters and also the children's section. It's like, you know what, lady? You're a librarian. How about we just act like a priest in a confessional and just help the man, okay? We don't you know need to judge him. I wish it was Edie McClurg. Like, this yeah, would have been an Edie McClurg is, one-liner. Like, she comes absolutely. in for, you know, a day one-day rate to be like, you could also check the children's section. Yeah, can we can we hire Edie McClurg more for these perfect roles that are written and designed for Edie McClurg? Come on, yeah. Hollywood in the 80s. Or Hollywood now. You can, I, I would still believe Edie McClurg as, like, a kooky receptionist. Yeah, I don't know if she's, if she's still desires to work now, but if she does, somebody hire her. Uh, he goes to the Bigfoot Museum, and the guy there is, like, bizarrely weird about Bigfoot, which it turns out later he doesn't actually believe in Bigfoot, which is a weird stance to hold when you've dedicated your life to selling Bigfoot merch. Yeah. Well, there's also, and before, even before he goes there... That's like a, an atheist priest. Like, that's such a weird thing to be. Why would you be that thing? It's It doesn't make sense. And there's also a moment where, like... The wife says, oh, this guy came into the house, and John Lithgow's like, well, this guy was a, his journal is the most interesting thing about Bigfoot, and there's, like, a, a grainy black and white security camera photo of this guy, and he was, and they're like, oh, his name was Jacques, apparently, not this name, 
And I was like, so he's given three names now. So I guess we have to under trust that Jacques is the name is his real name. Yes. Yeah. Well, he published a paper under Jacques, so it's got to be. Yeah. Unless that's his nom de Bigfoot. Nom de Bigfoot. So we get to this scene now that you alluded to earlier with the chicken in the pot and the lady in the hot tub. And I have like a lot of things I want to say about this one. Go for it. So first of all. This woman puts a chicken in the pot by grasping the wings and then like slowly dipping it in, which is never how a person has put a chicken into a pot. I've not made chicken like that, so I I have no idea. I I love to cook. I've roasted many a chicken. First of all, that's a terrible way to make chicken soup. You should roast the thing off first. You're going to get a much more flavorful stock if you've roasted it before you put it in there. But that's fine. If you just want to poach it, that's fine. But it is really hard to hold a six to eight pound object by these slippery, tiny wings on it. You would not want to grasp it there. You would grasp it around the carcass and slowly put it in. Number two, that leads to him watching a man help his wife into a hot tub by holding her wrists straight above her head as she tries to like slowly slide into it. No one has ever entered a hot tub like that, ever. No, it's really weird. It's also not helpful. Like it makes it more dangerous that she can't balance herself with her arms. It's a weird torture thing, like, oh, yes, I want to play a game. Yes, he's like, he's like he's dunking her in there, and she's this fairly sizable woman, so it's not like a child where you could, like, hold them by the wrists and swing them around. It's, it's a human being, a full-size, a full-grown woman. And lastly, this woman slides a raw chicken into boiling water, and then ten seconds later is tasting it. You just gave yourself salmonella. Like you just in, you just tasted salmonella water. It's not food yet. It's just pre-food. It's just water and chicken. You just tasted chicken water. What are you fucking doing? Why is this in the movie? How did nobody think of this? I don't know. They were too busy telling us that John Lithgow draws. Fine. Like it's like he has such a weird character where it's like he has a terrible relationship with his father. He clearly doesn't seem to be someone who's all that into hunting because he gives it up instantaneously when Harry comes around. It's like he just wanted to be an artist and get a hug. And his dad was like, kill animals. Because in the beginning of the movie, when his son is like looking through the back of the car as they're driving, he's like, careful not to touch my drawings. And I was like, oh, maybe he's an architect or something. It's exactly what I thought. I was like, oh, his dad's an architect, whatever. And then it turns into this weird, like, art school, no dad, I'm giving up your dream that, like, but not really. It's, I don't know why it's in the movie. Like, why does he have to be an artist? Oh, it's only to set up the scene where the him and his wife are talking and he's like, oh, I just don't, like, I can't draw Bigfoot scary. Harry's such a nice creature and he's, like, so lovely and it just seems so wrong to draw him as this big scary monster. And it's like, well, hey, dude, just don't then? Like, just don't. It's not that hard. And that's what the conclusion the very smart white gives him is like, I mean, you could just not do that. You know that, right? Like, you could just You can draw him happy. Yeah. And he does, and his dad gets mad at him because he's like, I told you to draw it, you know, scary. I'll get a real artist next time. And I was like, (laughs) pile on more evidence that his dad is garbage. Yeah. And then he takes it into the back room and, like, draws on it with a marker. And he does deface his very nice drawing. But it still kind of looks okay. Like, yeah. he, he, he's, he's not without artistic talent that he makes him look like a fierce monster. I was surprised how... I was expecting, like, that uh, fresco Jesus from <laughs> The America potato Jesus? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where that lady, like, went in to fix that fresco and just turned it into a smooshy blob. A potato! Yeah, but it's not bad. Uh, and Lithgow loses his mind and is like, why did you ruin my drawing? And I was like, 
can we explain why these draw like I get it. Like, I think I understand why these drawings are important, but this movie needs to hold my hand a little bit more and explain why these drawings are important. Yeah, exactly. It's not established enough that we should care as an audience. Like, there needed something to explain that, like, he he draws in secret or, like, I don't, anything. Because apparently he, he draws, and that's all we need to know. Right. It's very strange. So the store is packed with people who are, like, trying to get guns to kill Bigfoot. It's like the scene in Jaws where everybody, like, piles into the, yeah, into the boat. Like, we gotta kill a shark. Um, and the one guy talks about the most recent sighting, and Lithgow is like, okay, F this, I gotta go. And as he's, like, running out the door, he sees the scary drawing his dad made. He's like, you know what? I quit. I leave. And he, like, runs out the door. And he gets to the scene of this accident, and there's this guy who his bike is all mangled, and the guy's all disheveled, and like his helmet's half hanging off, and his hair's sticking yeah. through the helmet. And he's like, he's like, oh man, the Bigfoot like picked me up, and he body. He's describing like a wrestling match that he had with the Bigfoot, and he's like <laughs> yeah. body slammed me. And Lithgow like finally has enough. It's my favorite scene in the whole movie, like Lithgow losing his mind. Like Lithgow turns into a lawyer. Lithgow turns into a freaking lawyer. <laughs> he does. He does. And it's like. The part in all of those crime-based TV shows where they just, like, berate the person into confessing, and that's exactly the moment where he's like, you you saw the Bigfoot, and you got so scared that you crashed into a telephone pole and destroyed your bike. That's what happened, isn't it? It is! Say it! Say that's what happened! It's like, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's just... Go. And, of course, the guy immediately confesses. I always go right to Legally Blonde when uh, uh, Linda Cardellini is on trial, and they get her to confess that she killed her dad because she thought it was her stepmom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly that type of scene. Or like every episode of Psych ever. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, but this is the part in the movie where it gets to be like really long in the tooth because Harry kind of running around the the town takes a really long time. He's like like four or five distinct sections where he's like running through this part of town. And, then, and I just feel like this could have been accomplished in like a montage. It could have. Because I, I mean, because I, I did enjoy the fact that the police were like, look... There's clearly not a Bigfoot running around because, of course, there's not. But we need to, like, there's a lot of people with guns running around. So let's grab them, take them off the streets, and ca- and take all their guns. Because I was like, oh, that is the logical human real-world police response. Folks, I just realized I had the microphone not set up correctly, so I will sound better for the rest of this episode. I apologize for that. So the police angle I enjoy there's it's weird because there's aspects of this of this like third act that I enjoy and stuff that I just like again I wish I could edit this movie and like trim it down because I I feel like it would have been much better if it was a montage of the family like trying to find Harry desperately and they're like hearing a report of a sighting and then they go to the next place and they hear another report and they go to the next place and they're like running around town like trying to find Harry as opposed to they just seem to like wash their hands of the problem for a while. And then they're like, no, we need to find him and help him. And it's like, there's like a long period where they could have been trying to help him actively. Yeah. Way too long. Um, Cause, and then there's a moment where John Lithka is running in an alley, walking down an alley and a policeman see him and he jumps into a dumpster and they pull someone else out of the dumpster. And then who's you see- dressed like Rambo, they're like totally dressed, dressed like, like Rambo. Rambo. Yeah, but this guy literally has the red bandana and everything. No, but I mean, like, all the Bigfoot hunters are dressed like that. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, but then, like, as Lithgow is still, like, po- poking his head out of his spot, you see Harry walk by in the background. And then Lithgow gets out and runs and tries to find Big- Harry. And then Hercule Poirot comes out of the shadows, too. And I was like, 
oh, we're going to get like a Scooby-Doo chase sequence where... Yeah, yeah. You know, it, that's what I wanted. And we didn't get that. Instead, we got uh, Harry is hiding in a uh, a garbage truck du- that's holding a dumpster up in the air. And he's yeah. hiding up in the dumpster. And uh, Lithgow is like, you know what? The most discreet thing to do is to just drive this dump, this uh, garbage truck with you inside that part. And I was like, why? What are we doing? It makes absolutely no sense. And also, I feel like a dump truck is not a car you just like hop behind the wheel of and have no problems. No. Um, and the, he apparently it's not because Lithgow fails and hits the brakes and the dumpster goes flying. It's like the Indiana Jones 4. Yeah, it's... Uh, Absolutely, two bags of soup are in that dumpster. One of them is very hairy. Ew. Ew. Hercule Perot also tries to shoot Harry, like gun to his forehead, execute Harry, which is a weird move. It's so bizarre. That that needed to be way clearer. And also, hunters typically don't try to shoot their prey in the head. That is like a, a video game human thing. It is. And so they bring him home, and um, we get our checkoffs. Trophy, uh, hunting trophies and i was like yes. i called it yeah and there's like i don't know several forests worth of dead animals that fall out of this closet uh and it also is tense for 0.4 seconds yes because i was like oh i was like if harry runs away again and I, this movie that was gonna be too much for me too <laughs> i was like come on but instead lithgow's like i'm human i made a mistake and then <laughs> harry's like hugs him and I was like, okay, we didn't really get things we don't need. We'll get, we'll get it in editing, guys. And then to prove the point, Lithgow goes to the fish tank and just starts like pounding raw fish. He's just like <laughs> yeah. eating their goldfish. <laughs> this goes to my second favorite part of the movie that I genuinely wish was longer, which is like Harry's Salon Day. Yes. I wanted the beast gets ready for the ball or yeah. um, the cowardly lion is in the Emerald City Salon. Exactly. They're they're both the mom and the kid are blow drying Harry. Lithgow's like toweling his head off, and the daughter's just like standing against the wall, like Ugh, as if, which is really goofy. I wanted her painting his nails or something. Yeah, I wanted. I also wanted to see them bathe him. Or in she's the pool. like, yes, yes. Like, I yes. wanted them to dump like bubble bath in the pool. Yeah, like I wanted yeah, something but, there. Well, I feel like that's what happened, and they didn't show it to us. Because that's what I mean. Not, like they they imply that with the furball being you know skinned yes. out of the pool. But I was like, I want to yeah. see them like get him in there and shampoo and like get they you know they can't get it in his eyes. Like I wanted these are the hijinks that I came here for for my Bigfoot movie. Right. I also assume that it's because they couldn't get the suit wet. Oh, probably. Like, from a logistical standpoint, that's why we don't have that scene, but it would have been very good. Or just, like, film that last, and who cares if the suit gets destroyed? Like, if it doesn't yeah. work, you just don't show it. Yeah. Maybe that's what happened. Maybe that fur actually fell off the reel, so they, they, <laughs> they tried to film that scene, and it was a disaster, and they were like, well, we'll just, we'll just show them skim this disgusting pool now. Yeah, exactly. Because her pool looks like you murdered a bunch of things in it. It's, it's disgusting. It's the grossest pool, all of a sudden. So they get a call from the guy who owns the museum, who's like... Hey, I need to talk to you about Bigfoot. And it's weird because he gets invited to the house. He shows up for dinner and he spends the whole dinner being like, hey, look, Bigfoot's not real. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Bigfoot's not real. It seems like you think Bigfoot is real, which is like crazy that you think that. But it ruined Bigfoot's my life. I won't let it ruin yours. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that's what it is. Like, he's just he was 
all in on the Catholicism and then he became an atheist, but he's still a priest, basically. Yeah. Like, but it's such a weird. Oh, you know what it is? It's um, shoot, what's the movie where? Oh, it's Signs. It's Mel Gibson in Signs. <laughs> yes, the 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 faith guy with the faith that's lost his way. Yeah. Or uh, what's his face from Poseidon Adventure? Yeah, no, that's true too. But I love that Harry, oh, while we're on the subject, is also the guy from Harry Car- Harvey Keitel and from Dust Till Dawn. Um, oh, yeah. And that's like a pivotal moment. Like he has to believe in Jesus again, so or God again, so that they can make holy water and whatnot. But Harry sneaks into the room behind this guy, which is just the silliest it's thing. A, it's a T-Rex moment. Or like, how yes. did T-Rex get into this room when no one Yes. Yeah. Like I really was expecting Harry to tap him on the shoulder as the punchline to this bit because he's ranting about how Bigfoot that. doesn't exist. I would have liked yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, like, oh, it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. And the family's like stifling their giggles. And then he turns around. And there's an eight foot tall ape monster there. The daughter's also wearing the weirdest dress I've ever seen on film. Oh, I didn't see this. What was it? It's it's like a, 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 a pale blue like base. It looks like a nightgown that they hot glued some lace to at the top. Like it looks like they cut a doil, they cut a square doily on an angle, and then just glued it to her to her top. It, it like it it's so bizarre. It looks so crappy. I'm gonna have to uh, open this back up and, and check it out. This movie's on Netflix, by the way. We didn't say that at the top of the show. I think we should have. Oh yeah. So they show him that Harry knows how to sit, and he, when they say this command, Harry jumps through the floor onto the pool table, which is kind of hilarious. And the museum guy is like, "All right." I need, I'm going to help you. We need to return Harry to his, his habitat. But, you know, Bigfoot's real. This is my whole life has been working this moment. This is amazing. I'm so glad that he's like a gentle creature and seems intelligent. Like, this has made my life's work worth doing. This is amazing. And there's a very odd moment where, and it's obviously, it's scripted, but it's such a weird thing to script where it's after dinner and it's Harry and the museum guy and the two Henderson parents and they're talking and the guy gets up like in the middle of someone else's sentence and goes outside and they're like, well, I, I, wrote I guess that. I was, was like, else. he just left. Yeah. And then the, the characters the Hendersons are like, well, I wonder when he's coming back. And he comes back in with a backpack and a sleeping bag and like rolls it out next to Harry. And I can't tell if he's like going to sleep there or he was trying to tell Harry to get into the sleeping bag. But then it cuts to outside and Harry's snoring, which is like about the same decibel level as my snores. Yeah. Pre CPAP machine. Yeah. Um, we uh, get the neighbor being real racist, calling her gardener Kim Lee kimchi. Yeah, that sucks so hard. It sucks so hard that it's in this movie. Like, I'm glad the character's like, hey, F you, my name is Kim Lee, but it's just weird that it's here. Yeah. And all her roses have been cut off, and then we cut to Harry holding them all for the daughter. Yeah. To say thanks? I I don't know what he's trying to say. I I think he's apologizing for eating her corsage. Oh, right. And then uh, the neighbor woman sees Hercule Poirot lurking, holding a flower, and goes after him with an electric turkey carver. Yeah, it's pretty rad. Uh, I was thinking of that scene from Maximum Overdrive. <gasps> yeah. Where it comes I went, to life and... I went to Evil Dead, but yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I We also didn't touch about it, and it's like, who cares? It's stupid, but there's a long sequence where Hercule Poirot is in jail. Like, didn't a long sequence where he's in jail. Yeah, I, it's like, what is this here for? So they load up Harry. They see that Poirot, Poirot is there, and they... Uh, I keep saying Perot, like Ross Perot. Um, 
they load up Harry into the museum guy's car because it's like a big van. Uh, and Harry still has to punch his head up into the roof, but it's pretty good. And then they slash Hercule's tires and they go running off. And then they hit traffic on the freeway and Harry can mimic the sound of a siren. So there's I mean, this really it kind of sounds like a siren. Yeah. Uh, the only yeah. reason I knew that is because I watched with closed captioning and it said it said like imitate siren. And I was like, I guess. Oh, I thought it sounded like a siren. I mean, enough like for a kid's movie, which this is. Uh, and, and meanwhile, Poirot has stolen the family truckster that the Hendersons have and is like chasing them in their own car, which is kind of a fun moment. Yeah. And then we get the scene that we all know about the get out of here. Go on, get. You're not wanted here anymore. And he slaps him. Uh, and, and then once... the whole family is crying. Yeah, it's great. It's be- It's a lovely little scene of like, goodbye, friend. And then yeah. the, the, it's ruined by the son screaming because they're like, we'll never see him again. And he's like, sure we will. Look at his father's footprints. <laughs> you I'm leaned like, away from the microphone and it's still like got garbled in my head. Yeah, I watched that uh, spike and I was like, I had yeah. leaned away. Like, I'm not, that's not a joke. That's literally no, how it's every not. line is delivered. Yeah, he really does scream all of his dialogue. And that gives them the idea of like, oh, we should make fake Bigfoot footprints. Which like, the guy who owns this museum just has a van full of Bigfoot fake Bigfoot feet that they all strap on or just like stomping around making Bigfoot prints. And also it's snowy now. Yeah, it's like partially snowy. It's very strange. It comes out of left field. It's 100% just done so that they can have very obvious camera visible footprints. Like 1000%, that's why it's there. Yeah. This movie, I wrote, this movie is too long. Harry should have walked off. The hunter should have got there as he was disappeared and thrown his hat on the ground in anger. Yep. Family waves. Roll credits. Yep, that's 100. Harry, like, turns back and they do, like, a sad wave and the Harry hunter gets there. turns back like the Bigfoot photo. Yes! That freeze never frame. happens in this whole movie and that's just, that's stupid. That's that it should happen. have been there. Freeze frame. Yep. Um, yeah, it's really dumb. And it turns into this weird, like, slasher movie thing where it's Hercule Poirot versus Harry and they're like, Harry jumps out of a tree and I thought he was going to land on him, which I was I like... He's going to turn him into soup. Like, he weighs 400 pounds. Like, that would kill this man. And he does it, and then they, like, end up wrestling a little bit, and then... Harry makes a weird moaning sound. Yes, he does. Um, and then, so... He knees Harry in the nards, which oh, we find that out that Harry... was? Yeah, yeah. He I knees him that. in the nuts. Yeah. So they end up in, like, a wrestling-style test of strength, and Harry's overpowering Hercule, and he's like, oh, I'll just knee in the dick, and so he does, and Harry, like, That's what the sound was. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you missed the... Oh, I, I understand why you're confused now. Yeah. Um, so the family goes back to the car, and they see Harry's just got the Hercule Poirot in a headlock, not hurting him, or, like, strangling no. him, just kind of, like, holding him there, and the family reacts as though Harry's got a knife to his throat. Yes, and Lithgow, like, jacks up Hercule, like, grabs his lapels and is, like, punching him into the car. And Hercule's like, I'm going to kill him. I don't care what you say. And so Lithgow starts slamming this guy's head into the car. And Harry has to be the voice of reason who, like, cushions the back of his head, puts his other hand on Lithgow's chest, and is like, no. He doesn't actually talk at this moment, but he's like, no. And 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 then at that moment, Perot is like, oh, my God, it, it has empathy. It's a, it's a thinking creature. But at the same time... I wouldn't mind more villain deaths in my movies. Yeah, I mean, Harry could have hucked this guy off a cliff, and I'd have been fine with it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then I wrote, let's Wizard he of Oz. He does knock him unconscious. He gives he him, like, a chop to the back of the neck. 
All right, let's Wizard of Oz this goodbye. Like, wrap it up. Like, make it yeah. faster, guys. Yeah, it's so long at this point. We get more Sasquatches, apparently. What? I don't see that. At the end? Yeah. So, there's a scene of Harry walking away, and I was like, that doesn't look like, one thing doesn't look like a tree. It looks like a, another, another Bigfoot. That's weird. And then oh, as yeah. he walks away, like, three Bigfoot reveal themselves and walk walk to him. And I was like, what? What? I mean, to be fair, it does make sense that he would not be the only Bigfoot. Yeah, but, like, they didn't come out to, like, welcome him into the forest. Bigfoot, right, right. Harry disappeared, and then they revealed themselves. It's so bizarre. Yeah. And also, uh, Harry speaks. He says, okay. This is, like, mm. first dialogue in the movie. Uh, and that's it. They, like, walk off. And the two, the the, the museum guy and uh, Hercule are like, well, what are we going to do next? And he's like, there's always Loch Ness. And they're both like, <laughs> and, and then they, like, go back to the waving, and that's the end of the movie. Yeah. Except then we get very inexplicable credits where, like, we have Lithgow drawing. And I'm like, oh, is oh, this going to be like. I didn't stay to watch. Okay. So Lithgow's drawing. And in my head, I'm like, oh, this is going to be where Lithgow illustrates a children's book about a Bigfoot, and he becomes oh, a like successful author. like secondhand lions. Right. Like, it's a perfect end of the movie credit oh, sequence. Yeah, is like, okay. he, he draws, draws, draws. Except that's not what happens. What happens is they show you a bunch of scenes from the movie. The scene of Lithgow drawing is just him drawing the Harry poster from earlier. And then it turns into the drawn animation from the AHA Take On Me video. What? Take On Me. Yeah. Or, you know you know the video I'm talking about? Yeah. It's like, you know, he's in the grocery store and like stuff. Yeah. And it turns into like hand-drawn animation. That's exactly, it's, it's like a three-minute sequence in the credits where we just watch scenes from the movie you just watched get turned into Take On Me style animation. That's the weirdest choice I've ever heard. I was baffled by it. It was so totally weird. I'm, I'm wondering if it was supposed to be like a title sequence and it got stuck at the end of the movie because it didn't test well or something like that, which oh, would make sense. But yeah, it was very, very weird. But yeah, that's that's the end of Harry and the Hendersons. What are your final thoughts? It's not bad. It's just very long. That's my only qualm. Like, yeah, that's, if that's it was how a, I feel too. A good 20 to maybe even 30 minutes shorter. Yeah, it's about an hour 45. It could easily have been a tight 90, and that's like a much better version of this movie that's 90 minutes long. But it's really, it's not bad. I mean, the acting's good. The practical effects are awesome. I think the Harry costume is really good. Mm -hmm. It it won an Oscar for Best Makeup, which was well-deserved. It's a cool-looking... Yeah. So it's it's one of those movies that has a lot of things going right for it. It's just there's just too much movie here and it's like nobody wants or needs this stuff. It's just yeah, too exactly. way too much. Like there's three distinct scenes of Harry getting causing mayhem and causing problems and it's like I just don't need it. We didn't even talk about all of them because that's how extraneous they are. It's like we just cut a few of those out and get this down to even 100 minutes and it's a much more preferable watch. Agreed. Thank you guys so much for listening to the show. As always, we'll, we'll let you know what the next thing coming up is in just a moment. But uh, before we let you do go, I just want to do a couple quick housekeeping things. Uh, please don't forget to rate and review the show. You can do that on iTunes. It takes just a few seconds, and we read those on the air. makes a huge difference for us in rankings and ratings, and we'd really appreciate it. If you'd like to support the show even further than that, we have a Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash dissectingthe80s. We have a $2 tier, we have an $88 tier, and everything in between. At the $5 a month level, you get quarterly bonus episodes. The first one of those just went up, so if you subscribe at the $5 level right now, you get an extra episode right now when you sign up. So that is for our $5 patrons. Uh, And you can also go reread our previous emails, which we send every month. That's the Bag of Soup Sentinel, where we let you know some other stuff we're watching that we're liking, Um, not necessarily 80s related. 
and also uh, tell you more about what's coming up. And then at the $10 level, you can, after a year of support, pick an episode. You get to tell us what you want to hear, and we will do it. You give us three options, and we pick from that. So we're really excited about that. There's a few people who are, uh, at this point, a quarter of the way to getting to make their pick, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, please check that out. It's patreon.com slash dissecting the eighties. You can also get a hold of us on facebook.com slash dissecting the eighties and at dissect the eighties on Twitter and dissecting the eighties at gmail.com. We always love to get emails, uh, from wherever you are. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, or anything you want to let us know about the show. So thank you as always for listening. And I haven't said this in a while, but it always bears repeating. Almost every time we ask people how they found the show, it's because a friend told them about it. So if you like this show, tell a couple friends about it. If you know somebody you think would enjoy our particular brand of jokes, let them know. Tell them to check out our show. Let them know your favorite episode or one that you think they should listen to. And uh, share the love. So we'd love to hear it uh, if you're doing that. Let us know if you're sharing it with your friends. But thank you very much for listening. As always, we really, really appreciate that. It's uh, what makes this show possible is people listening and supporting it. So thank you so much for that. Uh, oh, and the website is dissectingtheeties.com. Jeez, that's a lot of plugs. I'm so sorry. <laughs> we are moving into October, which is one of our favorite months of the year because it Woo! means it's time Spooky for season. the spooktacular. You want to tell them what we're doing first? We are going back to Haddonfield, Illinois with Halloween 2, the one where Jamie Lee Curtis is in bed. <laughs> uh, excited to revisit this. I have not seen it in many years, so I'm, I'm pretty jazzed about it. We also have a pretty cool Halloween-related bonus episode that'll be coming out later that month, perhaps on the day that yeah. the new movie comes out. Uh, we interviewed uh, the editor of Fangoria Magazine, Phil Nobile Jr., so we're excited to bring that to you in a few weeks as well. He uh, is a big-time horror guy, and we were able to have a really cool chat with him about the Halloween franchise as a whole, so that was a lot of fun. Uh, no spoilers for the movie in that chat. So, thank you again so much for listening to our show. We really appreciate it. I have been Trip Lano. I will always be Andrew Lano. Until October 8th. Don't you forget about me. Dissecting the 80s is a Chum Some of This production. Ow.